Chapter 19 of Little Pilgrimages Among the Women Who Have Written Famous Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Little Pilgrimages Among the Women Who Have Written Famous Books by Edward Francis Harkins. Chapter 19 Mary Johnston. Early in 1898, the manuscript of a Virginian romance came to the Boston office of Houghton Mifflin and Company, bearing a new name, Mary Johnston. In time, the manuscript passed through the hands of half a dozen readers, who approved it unanimously, and it was published under the title of Prisoners of Hope. That was not its original title, by the way, but it was the title finally agreed upon by the author and the publishers. The instantaneous success of Prisoners of Hope and the quick bound of its writer to a place among the literary celebrities of the country are facts too well known to dilate upon we may at this point pardonably remark upon the readiness with which miss johnston was admitted into the company of novelists related to one of our foremost publishing houses her case is not an exception it is the rule the notion that the young author must sail against contrary winds is still apparently as prevalent as ever to be sure, now and then, it seems to be a very substantial notion. We know that Stephen Crane's Maggie was first rejected, and afterward, when it became popular, claimed by a certain publisher. Helen's Babies, another book notable for its popularity, was ragged from travel when accepted. There are other noteworthy instances of publishers' hindsight or unwisdom, but, even taken collectively, they do not constitute the rule so we mention the fate of the prisoners of hope the first work of a writer with neither name nor influence as an example of the general recognition of talent by american publishers miss johnston at the time of the publication of her first novel was twenty-eight she was born in buchanan virginia just where the winding james pushes its way through the blue ridge on november twenty first eighteen seventy her great-great-great-grandfather peter johnston came to virginia by way of holland early in the eighteenth century he brought with him wealth and influence one of the memorials of his beneficence is the land on which stands the college of hampton sydney he had three sons peter andrew and charles peter the eldest who rode in light horse harry lee's legion was the father of general joseph e johnston the second son andrew was the author's great-great-grandfather he married Anna Nash, through whom Miss Johnston is descended from Colonel John Nash, a valiant figure in the French and Indian Wars, and during the Revolution, the member from Prince Edward County in the Virginia House of Delegates. There were other distinguished Nashes, John of Templeton Manor in 1738, Justice of Henrico County, Virginia, Abner, a member of the Continental Congress, and at one time Governor of North Carolina. Francis, General Nash, who fell at Germantown. On her mother's side, the author of Prisoners of Hope is strongly Scotch-Irish, a lineage which runs back to one of the thirteen apprentices that closed the gates of Londonderry during the siege of 1680. Thirty years ago, her mother was described as a gentle, shy young creature with a dowry of sweet feminine traits. The father of the author, John William Johnston, started life humbly in the village of buchanan his mother too was scotch 
During the War of the Rebellion, he served as a major of artillery in the Confederate Army. It is related that in 1864, the year in which, by the way, Hunter's raiders destroyed that part of Buchanan in which his house stood, Major Johnston was sent from Chattanooga to Atlanta for medical treatment. There he was the guest of Mr. John Paul Jones, whose sister, Mrs. Ballard, later established a school for girls. Naturally enough, when Mary, the oldest of the six Johnston children, and Eloise, her sister, grew up, they were put in Mrs. Ballard's care. Miss Johnston has from her birth generally been in poor health. This physical weakness early developed in her a taste for books. Besides, her imagination was diligently cultivated by her father's mother, said to have been a woman of rare force and beauty of character, and of strong intelligence, who, until her death, which happened when her granddaughter was eight, taught Mary much more than the average child ever learns. For several years afterward, Mary's aunt was her teacher, and later the child had a governess. It was all very easy, desultory schooling, writes to us one who is exceptionally familiar with the author's career. Her health was always frail, and there were many interruptions, but whether sick or well, she was continually reading. There was no restriction laid upon her in this respect, and she read what she pleased, poetry, history, fiction, whatever came to her hand. Scott and Dickens she read and reread, and she early acquired a love for Shakespeare. Indeed, after she had discovered some old documents in an out-of-the-way closet, and had constituted herself a sort of librarian, reading and arranging the writings from morning to evening, it was predicted that she would yet write a book. A safe prediction it proved to be, a much safer prediction than to say that a little girl who says her morning and evening prayers fervently will yet be a nun. She was a self-reliant child, too. There is a story that runs, once, when only six years old, happening to go too near an open grate, her dress took fire, and she was soon in a light blaze. She was alone, but rolling herself in the hearth rug, she extinguished the flames, saying, when asked why she adopted such a method, that her grandmother had told her of a little girl who had wrapped herself up in a blanket on a similar occasion, and that she thought the rug would do as well. The distinguishing characteristic of the future author at this period, says the one who tells the fire story, was an unusual quantity of closely curled yellow hair, a lock of which was clipped from her tiny head soon after her birth and sent as a sample to her maternal grandparents in West Virginia. Meantime, since the close of the war, Major Johnston, a civil engineer by profession, had become interested in several railways in the South, and in 1885 his pressing business caused the removal of the family from Buchanan to Birmingham, Alabama, where for the most part the Johnstons have made their home. The year following the settlement in Birmingham, Mary and her sister were sent to the Ballard School in Atlanta, but three months at school hurt Mary's health so severely that she returned to Birmingham, thenceforth to educate herself according to her own disposition. However, when in 1887 her mother died, Miss Johnston, notwithstanding her poor health, undertook the management of the household, a management which she exercises up to the present time. The year after her mother's death, Mary and her father visited Europe. This visit may be spoken of as a turning point in her life, for notes on it, contributed to a little Virginia newspaper, made up her first literary offering. 
but although she has moved hither and thither miss johnston has spent at least a part of every year in virginia lately on cobbs island a small spot just off the eastern shore the hills and mountains of which she is so fond are prominent in the landscapes in prisoners of hope while the shores and marshes described in to have and to hold have familiarized themselves to the author during her periodical sojourns on cobbs island it is said that when miss johnston was a young girl she drew a crayon portrait of her father's brother which indicates the force with which her talents might have flowed in that channel had not another been cut for them by nature we mention the portrait incident merely to emphasize the early rise of her independence and ambition she was an uncommon child in many respects but they who predicted that some day she would write a book judged her best the prediction was realized during the winter of eighteen ninety six for three years previously the johnstons had gone to new york after leaving virginia in eighteen ninety four mary virtually became an invalid forced to lie still she read and studied until her mind craved recreation then she took up her pencil it will hardly surprise any reader to learn that her sentiments at first found expression in verse but meter and rhyme were driven away when the scheme of prisoners of hope presented itself she wrote the story literally page by page she was inexperienced in the art of constructing a story and felt her way slowly sensitively besides her health was frailer than ever and the cares of the household still devolved upon her so the writing of her first novel occupied more than a year and a half it was her secret surprise struck every member of the family when she exhibited the letter informing her that the story was acceptable prisoners of hope was indeed successful but it was its successor to have and to hold that emblazoned mary johnston's name to have and to hold established a record in sales among books written lately by american women a fact not to be depreciated by the extraordinary popularity of miss runkle's helmet of navarre to have and to hold appeared in a field of unprecedentedly strong competitors the work of virtually a new writer it would have done well to finish inside the distance flag to use the horseman's parlance instead however of finishing thus modestly it challenged the leader and rightfully enough for it had all the characteristics of a popular favorite it is we may still speak of it in the present tense an extremely enjoyable story the characters are vividly portrayed the scenes fit together smoothly and naturally the spirit of the times with which the story deals is well sustained to have and to hold in short is the work of a born storyteller if we are to give assent to the opinion that a novel should be mere entertainment then each of miss johnston's novels may be included in the best of modern fiction and by the same token the virginia lady may be regarded as a very successful novelist her latest story audrey has been interesting as a serial what it will prove to be as a book shown among hundreds of other books seeking the favor of the public is only to be conjectured we are indebted to a southern friend for the following information miss johnston's home in birmingham is in some respects typical of the old homes of the south without however suggesting the colonial it is set well back from the street and the balconies and the exterior are decidedly attractive and the filmy draperies at the long french windows suggest the charming sunlit apartments of a well-regulated home the library where miss johnston does her work is lined with books 
it is a long attractive apartment through the windows of which one gets a broad view of the sky her desk lies open and the morning's mail is scattered around a black and gold clock ticks away on the mantel shelf above the bookcases are a number of marble busts it is a room with the atmosphere of books and pictures the author is not very tall and her figure is slender and fragile she carries herself well and has that high-bred air that gives her a distinctive charm in any assembly her eyes are large and brown with little flecks of gold her light brown hair is soft and wavy and she wears it simply she dresses quietly and fashionably her tastes are those of a charming woman who although unconventional respects every propriety briefly her life is that of any high-bred aristocratic girl of the south miss johnston's remarks to interviewers usually take this form i am glad to talk of my work i am of course gratified at its success and i appreciate all that is said but i have made it a rule not to talk for publication End of chapter 19